Let's walk. Walk up. Walk out. Walk into the wilderness. If your legs shake, go slow. If you wonder how you will get there, just look for a next step. If you don't even know where there is that you're getting to, take one rock and place it on another. And remember... Our text this morning comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, beginning in verse 31. And it reads like this. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of the time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt... On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. The events of this week have, as we have expressed, and I think as we feel, uh, changed us in some way. There is a sense that it is, as Stephen expressed, hard for us to figure out exactly how it is that we are to be here, and yet we know that we need to be here. And so I will simply say that it seems sometimes difficult to find a way to express ourselves in the midst of such turmoil, especially given that it, as I um, think about it, it's just, it's been wave after wave after wave, right? 
I mean, you think about the last three years or so, and in the span of that three years, there are probably several decades worth of world-changing events. And it seems like it just never ends. And so this morning, as we think about this story from Exodus, I hope that we can find in it some hope and some recognition that God is in this place as well. God is in this season too, just as he was in this season for the people of Israel. So having said that, my sermon this morning. (laughs) I was thinking, I was reminded from this text, and you'll understand why, and I hope anyways, in a few minutes, um, of one of our favorite shows at our house is the show Top Chef. One, we love food. Two, we love really good food. And three, we just love the drama that gets created and, uh, and the kind of the tension with the um, different competitions and waiting for, for that, those two points in each episode where Padma says to, the sh- to whichever chef it is, please pack your knives and go. And I thought about how that phrase... Um, it reminded me just of this, this summons that Moses and Aaron get seemingly in the middle of the night after all of the buildup. So we've, we're, as I said in this series, we're not really following the story verse by verse through. I'm, we're looking at different themes. And so we've skipped over the whole buildup to this point, right? We've skipped over the plagues. We've, we've skipped over the throwdown between Moses and the magicians of Pharaoh Um, and all this, you know, the back and forth and the building of tension. And right before this, we've skipped over the, uh, the evening of Passover when the angel of death passed over Egypt and wiped out the firstborn of all the families, all the animals, everything. It is an epic story and an epic buildup. And it's in the midst of this or it's after all of this that Pharaoh summons Moses and says, Moses, pack your knives and go. Pack your people and go. Oh, and not only that, uh, take all your stuff, but here's our stuff as well. Just get out. Just leave. It's an unconditional release. And then the interesting twist that, that demonstrates how much things have changed. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go. And then this little four-word sentence, and also, bless me. Interesting. One of the things that happens here, and also, bless me, shows a total reversal of the power dynamic in this relationship. Because blessing, generally, as we understand blessing, it's assumed to be a position of power. I have something that I can give to you. I have some 
something to share with you, whether that be possessions or goodwill or whatever it is, but it puts me in a position of power. Up until this point, Pharaoh is not asking Moses to do anything other than to get his people to shut up and go back to work. But now, and also bless me, now things have changed. Power has shifted. Pharaoh had, or at least thought he had, power in the beginning. Now the power is clearly behind the people of Israel, and Pharaoh is asking them to, asking Moses to bless him. And it's an amazing thing. Here's the thing that that perhaps Pharaoh and maybe we didn't notice or might not notice in the dynamic that was happening prior to this part of the story. God had been blessing Israel all along. Even in the midst of their 430 years of captivity, God had been blessing them. And in the midst of all of this, of their crying out, and in the midst of them not feeling that God was present, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their oppression, God was blessing them. As we talked about last week, he was causing them to be fruitful and multiply, so much so that that they terrified uh, the people of Egypt and Pharaoh. They, uh, because they were so fruitful, that was part of why they were being oppressed. God was preparing them, even in the midst of his perceived absence, he was preparing them for liberation. He was preparing them to be set free. He was preparing them to become his people on the move. So Pharaoh says, take your stuff and go. Here's our stuff too. And the text tells us, and so Egypt was plundered. It was a very gentle, well, not so gentle when you consider the the plagues, I guess, but There was no violence in this part of the plundering. The Egyptians were glad, it tells us, to hand over their things just to get the the Israelites to leave. And so the Israelites were delivered, and this plunder fulfilled what Moses had said earlier in Exodus, earlier in the story, when he said that this is exactly what would happen. Verse 36 says that the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. I love the understatement. I love the way uh, this, this part of the story is told. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. Do you think? The river Nile had turned to blood, locusts, frogs, death, all kinds of things. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. What we see in these first verses that we looked at this morning is a theme that we see again in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, it's called the Great Reversal. And essentially, it's the fact, and we see it all throughout the arc of Scripture, 
The great reversal is the fact that God brings low the powerful and liberates and empowers the lowly. He does it over and over and over again in the story of Scripture. God chooses the most random, the seemingly most insignificant, the seemingly most unequipped people to be his people. I think maybe I've told this story before, but one of my favorite memories from seminary is my first, one of my first days in Old Testament class. And my Old Testament professor had this big chart up on the, on the wall, right? This is back in the day before we had projectors. <laughs> Kids, the, a chart is something you hang on the wall. It's made from paper, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he had this big chart, and it was all these different colors. And he said, this chart represents all the great people groups of in world history and so he goes through this whole thing he says surely God must have chosen this huge you know purple group no no that's not Israel and he went he went on and on like this he built it up for a good you know three or four minutes and then finally he finds this tiny little dot that if you're sitting in the back row like I did uh, you could barely see and he says oh no here are God's people. Here is who, here is the group that God chose to bless the world through. Right? It's this small, insignificant group of people. But that's the way God works. God shows up in places, and rather than throwing his lot behind the powerful, he throws his lot and his blessing behind the lowly and the insignificant, and through them he moves in history. One of the things that we see in this text is that God in this moment has not only liberated Israel, although he most certainly has, which isn't to say there aren't problems to come. There are. But he's not only liberated Israel, he has provided for their journey and also he has provided the materials they need to build the tabernacle. Right? This plunder is not just to enrich the Israelite people. It provides them everything they need for the journey. And also, when we get through the story, you'll find that all of this gold and silver, now they have something to build exactly what God wants them to build for him to tabernacle with them in the wilderness. So even in the midst of this liberation, God is blessing and surprising and providing for the people. Now, one of the temptations that happens for us, there's two interesting things that that happened for us in the story. The first might happen in verse 37 because sometimes we as Christians, we get kind of tied up in all of the details of things, which sometimes is very important, other times not so much. But in verse 37, it tells us that there are 600,000 men on foot besides, Winnie, besides women and children and that many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Now, there has been lots of ink spilled 
on whether these numbers are exact, whether they're literal, whether they're figurative, what, how it works. One of the problems is that if you take a group that size, you, you multiply that number of men times women and children plus all these other, many other people plus all these animals. The, some, uh, one of the commentators I said suggested that the, that the, um, the train of people leaving Egypt would have been over 200 miles long. Right? So how do you get them across the Red Sea? Right? I mean, there's just problems. But here's the thing. Uh, as we do, oftentimes, we get lost in the forest for the trees. And the point is not ex- how many people there were or what, what all the details were. The point is liberation, not factoids. Right? The point is not to get all wound up and argue with each other about whether or not this is literal or figurative or whatever, because when we do that, what do we lose sight of? What we lose sight of is the fact that God has just set his people free in the midst of impossible circumstances. Now, we could also spend a lot of time wondering and thinking about who these many other people were. But the reality is, is that God was liberating those who were oppressed. And the the assumption is, is that there were a whole bunch of other slaves that just joined the fray. It's like, well, if they're getting out, I'm getting out too. And they just joined the party and, and went with them. But the place I wanted to focus this morning, that I think particularly spoke to me during this week where we have seen yet again the pestilence and the brokenness and, the, and just the hopelessness of war is verse 42, which says, Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord. Now, if you read on past where we stopped, it's the instructions for keeping the Passover, right? Which Orthodox and, and uh, Reformed Jews continue to do to this very day. They remember, and they do it in very specific ways, that God brought them up out of bondage. God showed up in the midst of their suffering. God had, while maybe God had been silent in that 430 years, or at least maybe the Israelites experienced that, that God, that God was silent in that time, God was present and protecting and keeping vigil over his people to the point where he had prepared a redeemer and a redemption. And he delivered them. God had protected them. He had caused them to be fruitful, to multiply, to uh, be equipped. And now he says to Moses and the people of Israel, now you will keep this night from now on to remember that I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And this vigil that God kept over the people of Israel foreshadows another vigil 
that you see on the window behind me of Jesus keeping vigil in the garden on the night when he was arrested and betrayed to be crucified. God continued to keep vigil over his people so that he might bring redemption in the midst of impossible circumstances. Jesus kept vigil in the garden. And in Mark 14, 34, he says to his disciples, Stay here and keep watch with me. Keep watch. Keep vigil with me. Brothers and sisters, I believe it is the nature of God to keep vigil over us. Whatever Egypt we may find ourselves in. Whether that Egypt is one of others making. Whether that Egypt is one of oppression where some other great powerful force is oppressing you or seeking to oppress you like we have seen in the news this week. Or whether this Egypt is one of your own making. Whether this Egypt is the consequences of your own choices that you've made in your brokenness and sin. Whatever that Egypt is, God keeps vigil over us. And brothers and sisters, he has made our liberation possible through the sacrifice of our Passover lamb, Jesus. So whatever Egypt we find ourselves in, whether it is the Egypt of geopolitical uh, maneuvering and war and power and all of those things, or whether it is the Egypt of addiction and brokenness and broken relationships, or whatever that might be, God has kept vigil over you and over us. Brothers and sisters, our deliverer has come and will come again. Amen. Now before the band comes this morning, I want to extend an invitation for us to keep vigil. Many of you may have seen that Pope Francis has invited all Christians to fast and pray this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, for Ukraine. And so I pass that invitation to you as well to join other, our brothers and sisters from all kinds of different traditions all around the world to keep vigil for peace this Ash Wednesday. We will be having the imposition of ashes in a little service here on Wednesday, so make sure that you come and join us for that, where we will pray and we will remember and we, and we will be reminded that we were formed out of dust. To dust we will return. Jesus Christ, the hope of our salvation. Before we...
sing our song, just want to remind you that there will be someone available on the front for prayer. If you want to come and spend some time in prayer at the end of the service, you'd be most welcome to do that. Invite us to stand now as we sing together. song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up our eyes in wonder and show.
beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Brothers and sisters, Receive the benediction. You are loved by God the Father. You have been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit now and always to share that love and grace with a broken and hurting world. Go and be God's people for the sake of that world.